This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Tonight's talk on the landscape of emotions, um, I want to address how we feel emotions and to consider what happens when we meditate. How do we deal with emotions in the meditation posture? Now, we see the Buddha sitting here. Do we think that we should be like this when we're meditating? Totally cool, like a wooden Buddha. Stiff, calm unmoved, unemotional. It appears peaceful, but it's really not what meditation is about. Meditation is not stoic. It's not stiff. It's dynamic and responsive. It is not an experience of complete evenness. It shouldn't be, and we wouldn't even want it to be. We have a tremendous capacity to feel a full range of the emotional life as living, breathing, dynamic human beings. And some of these emotions are going to be very difficult to bear. And some are going to be delightful and joyful and uplifting and inspiring. And some are going to be so subtle that we'll barely notice them. Peacefulness, tranquility, equanimity, calmness. And some will be very intense, grief, sorrow, rage, terror. We will feel through the course of our lives a vast range of emotions. How conscious are we of the qualities of each emotional state? Every moment that we experience something, every moment of consciousness has a flavor to it. The Abhidhamma describes and details the lists of the various mental factors that compose each and every mental state. So when we look at the Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, the traditional psychology, we see an analysis of every mental state. All the emotions are included in those analysis. So that as meditators, we look into the mind in an emotional state and we try to understand it. We see what can, what, what constitutes, what are its components, what arises with it. What gave rise to it? What can never not arise with it? What never arises together with that state? So we learn to understand the emotion by looking into our own minds. So in meditation practice, it's a given that emotions arise. It's a given that there are always mental states, sometimes calm and sometimes intense, sometimes wholesome and sometimes unwholesome. So the question is not whether or not there are emotions. It's what's the quality of attention that we can bring to those emotions. Can we apprehend them with a mind that is balanced, that is wise, that is steady, that is responsive, that is open, and that can receive that emotion with a stability that brings wisdom. Many meditators think about emotions as being just the intense dramatic ones, hate, fear, greed, sorrow, and forget about the positive emotions, the tranquility, 
the delight, the compassion, the joy, the love, the rapture, the bliss. You experience positive emotions all the time. A time when you see when somebody makes a gesture of kindness towards you and you feel a softening, you feel gratitude. You might be outside and see an injured bird or maybe you're in your home and a bird flies up into the window and there's an immediate response of compassion, of care, a natural response. You don't need to plan it. You don't need to conjure it up. It arises quite naturally. And there can sometimes be this incredible delight, especially in the spring, when you step out in the morning and there's that fresh, clean air, and you can um, it's still crisp and cool, and there's this sense of, wow, I'm alive. And that's kind of in, in, in delight in the simple things of just walking and breathing and being present on a spring day. When we bring mindfulness to our emotional lives, we tune in to that quality, that mental state, that mental quality that accompanies various moments of experience. When we're smelling the fresh, cool air, can we be mindful also of the mind that is knowing it? When we're meditating and things are getting quiet, can we be mindful of the tranquility, the calmness, the delight, the rapture, the joy that might accompany that meditation state. When we're meditating and the mind keeps wandering off and we're not feeling calm, we're not feeling tranquil, and we start judging ourselves, can we be mindful of that mental state of aversion, of frustration, of anger, We bring mindfulness to see what is arising. And it's important to give attention not only to the unwholesome states when we think of emotions, but to really recognize how incredibly frequently in our days and in our meditations, wholesome states, happy states, subtle states are actually arising. And let them be felt in the body. Let them suffuse the body, the mind, the heart, and open to experience that peacefulness, to be interested in that state of compassion, and to be attentive to what gave rise to that calmness and that peacefulness, to actually accept the gratitude, the joy, the delight that sometimes arises for us, and really welcome and receive these states fully. We don't need to push away subtle states thinking, you know, my meditation practice would be much richer if I really faced those demons and delved into my personal problems and unraveled those deeply rooted patterns. Sometimes we think we need to do so much work in our meditation practice that we might skip over those subtle states in favor of the things that appear more dramatic, like our personal lives. But it's very healing and powerful to be mindful of subtle 
and wholesome states, those states that arise naturally in a moment of calmness, in a moment of mindfulness, in a moment of concentration. Even just feeling two breaths in a row, even if you don't make it to the third breath, when you're feeling two breaths, ah, the mind feels cool, doesn't it? It feels like it's chilled a little bit and a little bit refreshed. So as we allow our attention to rest in this layer of emotional life, not indulging in it, but experiencing it, then we can look into that state and know it quite fully. What gave rise to it? How does it change? What causes it to to cease? We don't need to grasp it. We don't need to indulge in it. We know it as it's present, and we know it as it changes. Now, there's also going to be times in your meditation practice and in your life when you're not feeling delight, tranquility, bliss, equanimity, and peace. And quite the opposite. You're feeling terror, rage, anger, jealousy, fear, um, greed, desperation, desire, um, various forms of upsetness. Most of us would prefer the first set rather than the second, I'm sure. But we don't often get to choose. We don't get to collect the ones that we like and hang on to them and ignore the others. We have to trust that our hearts have the capacity to open, to be spacious enough, to not only recognize the things that we like, but to also recognize the presence and to feel the things that are not so pleasant and to maintain a balanced, mindful regard to both the wholesome and the unwholesome states that might arise in our minds. It can be challenging to work with difficult emotions. That's why they're difficult. We don't want to experience them. We don't want to admit to them. But sometimes they're so strong that we just can't avoid them. Because they're so painful, one of the things that many non-meditators habitually do is to remove themselves from the emotion. And because the emotion's so strong, we can't really abandon it. So we remove ourselves by not feeling the emotion, but by thinking about it, dwelling in the story of the emotion. When we're in the story of it, we're just slightly removed from it. The problem is, is when we're lost in the story, the story is fueling the emotion, and it starts to last longer and longer. You've probably all experienced this, right? Somebody said something that irritated you or bothered you or you felt was a bit of a a slight or a rude comment. And you felt kind of a reaction right away. And then uh, 10 minutes later, you start doing something else and you forgot about it and you were, you know, not feeling it. You were, you know, drinking a glass of water and you were just 
feeling the coolness of the water and it was a neutral experience. But then the mind came in and remembered what that person said and then you started to think about it and wonder why she said that and what she meant that by that and what kind of a person she is and what you're going to do when you talk with her next and who you're going to tell about it and how you're going to get even. And all the story goes on. Or you might start thinking about yourself and why you didn't respond and how you missed the opportunity to say some snide remark. And then you think about this and that and this and that and it goes on and on. And the story fuels the unwholesome emotion because it keeps giving rise to it again and again until you find yourself lying in bed at night, tossing and turning, waking up, and what are you thinking about? That comment that somebody made some hours ago. Sometimes days can go by, weeks can go by, and you don't even remember the comment anymore, but there's still an energy of restlessness that's caused by that, and and you find yourself still tossing and turning. When we find ourselves repeating a story, telling ourselves what terrible thing happened to us, what terrible thing somebody did to us, and planning how we're going to respond, this is a very important moment to recognize and to cut through the story and look at what that feeling is. See if you can face the feeling. See if you can open to it. Because when, as long as we're lost in the story, whether we're rehearsing how we're going to respond or re- re- replaying what had happened, we're just slightly removed from what that irritation, that anger, that fear feels like. And so we can pause and we can ask ourselves, what am I feeling now? And not intellectualize about it, but drop the attention into the body and feel what we're feeling in the body. What do we experience in the body when we're feeling an emotion? Can we drop out of that concept and open to something simple, maybe a quivering, maybe a tightness? maybe a change of heat or coolness. Connect with ourselves outside the concept, outside the, um, the, the, the narrative. When we connect with the feelings in the body, we'll find sometimes they are hard to bear. Sometimes they are unpleasant. But when we're with the actual present moment experience in the body, we'll see that that's all it is, a momentary experience that arises and passes. And as we see the expression in the body arising and passing, it might be an angle to see also how quickly the mental state is also arising and passing. The story blurs many, many, many moments together, and we think of it as lasting. But when we look at the sensations, we realize that the mental state arises in conjunction with the sensations, with the body, and they are simply arising and passing, arising and passing. And so by directing our attention into the body, we can see the emotion more clearly, we can see its momentary nature more clearly, and 
we're very close to the simple resource that we cultivate every time we sit down to meditate, every day, where we're feeling the posture, we're feeling the contact with the ground, we're feeling the contact with the seat, and we're feeling the movement of the breath. We're tuning in to the resource of the body. So this simple act of inviting ourselves to drop out of the story and to connect with the bodily experience cuts through a whole um, a thick tangle of suffering and gives us a space where we can grow calm in the connection with the body, the sitting and breathing, and where we can, from that calmness, investigate our response to painful or difficult emotions. We can look in to the mind and see what gives rise to this repeating thought. We can see how emotion and thought and emotion and thought are interlinking. We can watch how emotions change, how physical sensations change, how we identify and recognize an emotion. Maybe it started with irritation and then became anger and then became defensive and then became jealous and then became desireful, wanting something else, and then became insecure and then became um, um, uh, humorous. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we realize this is ridiculous. (laughs) And we actually have a little bit of good humor around our own foibles. And so we, and we might even experience a moment of mindfulness in there and then find it interesting. Mindfulness and interest can be brought to it. Those are also mental states, emotional states. So by working with the, mind, the mindfulness of the emotion in the body, then we give ourselves a chance to take a charged emotion, maybe grief or loss or anger, and look and see how is this, um, how is this operating in my mind and body? How am I relating to it? What is underneath it? What is fueling the story? In an emotional experience, I often like to actually scan through the body from head to toe. You don't have to do it. You can just tune into whatever you're experiencing. But sometimes it feels very grounding for me to just scan through the body and explore how the body is responding to the emotions. Because we really do experience it in the body. When you tune in, you'll feel changes of sweat, changes of temperature, changes of the rate of your breath. You might be able to sense a change of heart rate. You might be able to sense changes in the muscular system where you're tight, where you're loose, where you're shaking, where you're quivering, where there's different kinds of responses, where the quality of vibration changes in the body. You can use the breath then to calm the mind, to calm the body, to settle a little bit, and just settle so that you can investigate the response to the emotion. So we're blending and interweaving a response that sees the emotion and then both calms and investigates, calms and investigates, intertwining the calming aspect of meditation with the clarity that allows us to see it, see it fully and investigate phenomenon. The essential component of this is the willingness 
and remembering to drop out of the story, to separate out the emotion, emotional state and the physical response of the emotion from the content of the story. Who did what that made me annoyed? What it is I feel I deserve, I want, you know, when, when, when craving or greed or lust arises. So we tease out the distinctions between the content of the thoughts, the quality of the emotional state, and the sensations that we experience around them. There is always a correlation between mind and body. We don't experience anything in the mind without a body, right? I mean, your minds aren't floating out there. They're grounded in the body. We're perceived through the body. And we don't experience the body without the mind, right? If there was no mind, you wouldn't know that your body was touching anything or whether it was hot or cold because the senses are part of the bodily experience. There's always a component of mind and body in our experience. So we investigate both. And what do we find regarding both? We'll learn a lot about our particular tendencies, our patterns, that particular emotion that we're working with. But we'll also learn something about mind and body. We'll learn that it's continuously changing. And this knowledge we'll find applies to every experience we have. We don't force that Knowledge. When I say apply, it doesn't mean we decide now you're changing and now you're changing and now you're going to change. But we know from repeated experience by looking and seeing, oh, this mind state is changing. I see it changing. Oh, this emotion is changing. I see it changing. This thought is changing. This sensation is changing. And we investigate again and again and again And it's like we see change fresh, new, in every single moment. The insight into impermanence comes by seeing it directly, in our intimate experience. Not by knowing that things change, but by being willing to see it again and again, this way and that way, in the mind, in this emotion, in that emotion, in this thought, in that thought, in this sensation, in that sensation, again and again. We're seeing the changing dynamic of emotional life, the changing dynamic of the mind and the body. What is there to cling to in all of this fluid experience? Now, this correlation between the mind and the body is um, an intimate one, and we can know it in so many different ways, and we, and we often take it quite for granted. I was reading a book um, recently um, that was dealing with different studies, um, scientific studies of the, of the brain research and how the mind and emotions work together. So it was really about the, the, um, about the emotional life um, the title of the book was The Emotional Life of Your Brain uh, by Richard Davidson. And he just mentioned one particular study in this book that um, I thought related to this topic, which was a study where um, 
you know, when you get these Botox treatments, um, I've never had one, but it seems like what they do is, is it, is it, um, is it, it paralyzes the nerve, the, the nerves, the muscles, the muscles that allow you to frown. And so women who've had these Botox, or men, anybody who's had these Botox treatments, don't frown as much. They're more like, they're, they smile because the, they don't, you know, those, those muscles are paralyzed. So what they studied was how people who were able to process emotions when they didn't have the physical response in relationship to it. Because usually, when we think of something happy, we subtly smile. Very subtly sometimes. We're not walking around with a toothy grin. But, you know, you read something and it's kind of amusing, and you can feel a little shift if you're mindful of your face. And then you feel something sad, and you can almost feel that sinking a little bit. And if you're not sure what you're feeling sometimes, if you tune into your face, you might be able to be mindful of the sensations and... Oh, I didn't realize I was frowning. I, you know, this. Um, so what they did is they had um, they had they had the the people who had already scheduled treatment sessions fill out various surveys and read various sentences, and the sentences were designed to elicit an emotional response: some happy, some sad, some angry, and then they would um, record how long it took. The, the, the people to um, r- register to di- to um, uh, what was the word they used? to process the emotion to register how they felt and then they did it after the after the treatments and regarding the happy states it took the same length of time to process the emotion to to recognize how they felt but after the treatments they took longer, significantly longer, to process the sad or the angry emotions that normally are associated with those muscles that frown. And so it's just an interesting little study to talk about or to point out how intimately our body is intertwined with our emotional life and how the clues that we get are sometimes mental and sometimes physical, and sometimes we don't even know which. And they were perfectly capable of processing. They know, recognized what sadness was. They weren't emotionally disabled, but it was a little bit slower. And so, as mindfulness practitioners, we might notice how we respond to emotions, what the clues are that tell us that we're feeling something. And when we make a choice to shift our emotions, sometimes we know we're dwelling in a, maybe a state of sadness that's not so healthy and we want to cheer ourselves up. We can use the body to help cheer ourselves up. I don't know how many of you have attended the workshops that we've sometimes had at Insight Meditation South Bay, where we've invited a a guest speaker on Saturdays, Lisa Tromovich, to do a workshop because she directs theater. And she she teaches different ways of using the body and the emotions to bring mindfulness to both. So we would use, during this workshop, we would do gestures and make movements that would elicit different emotions and work with them and be mindful of how making different gestures affects the emotional life. 
And it can be very interesting to just start to observe in your daily life how different gestures make you feel. And if you're feeling something, what gesture you've taken. And is that actually holding a pattern in place? You know, like if you're really crossed arms and tight and holding, and you know, not just resting crossed arms, but like, you know, so it's, it, it's an interesting thing with the mindfulness to work with emotions not only as concepts of thought, not only as mental states and the various qualities of mind that we associate with it, but also how mindful are we of the changes in the body and how we respond to the emotion. The sensitivity to the body, the sensitivity to what's pleasant and unpleasant will give us clues to explore the emotional landscape. When we start to tune into the body, we might experience a range of things. Maybe tightness in the body, maybe tightness in the shoulders, tightness in the face. How does that tightness shift and change? And how does, as that tightness changes, how does the mental response change? Sometimes we'll say, I'm so angry. But are we angry? When we look at the anger, is it a steady state? Or is there anger, then fear, then pity, then sadness, then worry, then blame, then impatience, then insecurity? Then acceptance and calmness. And then fear and um, worry and remorse, grief. Sometimes we go through many, many, many different emotional experiences and we just blur them all together with one word. I feel irritated. I feel annoyed. I feel angry. When we look more closely, we might see the nuances as the emotion arises and how it changes within our experience. We can allow it to be known. When we see it as a changing process, we won't fear knowing it because we'll be seeing it flow through us and we'll know it's just a momentary process. There's nothing there to harm us. It's just a feeling. It's just an emotion. And we have the capacity and the strength of heart to know it. And as we know it, it arises and it ends. And we can trust ourselves to stay steady as our emotions change. We won't need to act on it. We won't need to speak about it. We won't need to repress it simply because it has arisen. No, we'll allow it to move through us, allow it to be known. And then with wisdom, we'll look at that emotion And we'll consider, should something be communicated? Should something be done? Does action need to be taken or not? If we act just out of of anger or unwholesome emotions, then that action is influenced by the emotion. And it's very likely going to cause suffering. But if we experience the emotion fully and allow it to come and go and be known then in the wake of that, with mindfulness and wisdom, we'll be able to take appropriate action or non-action as we see fit. 
Some emotions will just come through us and need nothing more than space to be known. Grief in particular sometimes just needs space. You know, to allow a little space in our lives to feel the pain of loss. Maybe nothing needs to be done. Maybe there's nothing to say. And we just feel it and observe ourselves going through grief. Sometimes fear might arise, trembling, uncertainty. When we sit with fear, we have the courage to face fear. We're not afraid in the face of fear. We see it just as momentary phenomenon, and it doesn't stop us from knowing it fully and knowing the mind. It's just fear. We don't need to fear the fear. So when there's desire, grasping, craving, wanting, and those emotional states arise, we can see them without indulging in them. And when there's aversion, we can see it without pushing it away. Through meditation practice, we learn to remain balanced as we open to the full range of emotional life. Sometimes those are intense and sometimes they're subtle and peaceful. It will take courage, though, to work directly with our emotions to not indulge in the story, to distance ourselves from the feelings, but to have the courage to be present with that bare bare response, that bare emotional response, to just bring attention to that present moment experience of emotions in the body and in the mind. It also takes energy to work with difficult or, or um, unwholesome emotions. And sometimes we don't have that energy. We need to acknowledge when we just don't have the emotional energy, don't have the conditions present to deal with something. And then perhaps distract ourselves from it to do something useful. And then later find a time when we actually can explore the emotions. Maybe in our meditation practice, maybe in a quiet moment here or there. So mindfulness of emotions doesn't mean that at any moment we're going to burst out crying because we feel sad or explode into a rage because we're being present and authentic with our feelings. Quite the contrary. We make wise decisions about when to open to it and to what extent we are able to open to it. Sometimes we have to be very gentle with ourselves and just touch into a difficult moment, uh, emotion, and then back off and rest with something pleasant, something calm. In meditation, we always have the body posture and the breath as relatively neutral experiences. And then maybe touch it again, know it for a moment, and then come back to a more neutral experience. So by talking about mindfulness of emotion and encouraging you to be present with emotion, I don't want you to get the impression that you need to always dive right into the center of it. Sometimes we really can be very 
circumspect about it, gentle with ourselves. And just touching it for a moment is quite enough for that time or for that day. And then we back off and settle the mind again in some calm way or do something to distract ourselves if we're in a social situation where we can't um, process that emotion. But there are times when we know the conditions are present and we just have to be willing to do it. We just have to bring up the energy, the interest, the inspiration to explore that state, to be willing to let the waves of the emotion flow through us without trying to disperse the intensity of the feeling by acting on it, speaking on it, distracting ourselves from it, or just thinking about it in stories and narratives. Very often, if there is a strong emotion, we have to have equal energy with our mindfulness. We have to bring up the energy to hold the mindfulness, to hold the container of our posture, of our body, of our meditation, so that we're not swept away, lost in the story, but we remain balanced and mindful and observe that emotion. As we begin to experience more and more of the emotional landscape, whether that's pleasant, subtle feelings or challenging, difficult states, we might also start to notice that there are spaces of calmness, spaces of tranquility and ease between distinct emotions. There are spaces of neutral experience between intensely pleasant and unpleasant experiences. If we're in a tizzy about something, feeling, oh, we're so grumpy, we've been irritated since yesterday. Well, we probably missed a few moments when we weren't irritated. (laughs) Maybe there were some moments when we just felt the hot water in the shower and it wasn't all that irritating. Or when we crunched down on our toast in the morning and We just really enjoyed that piece of bread. It's helpful to let neutral and positive experiences infiltrate our lives and infiltrate our exploration of emotions so that we don't get caught just working with those difficult states. Positive and neutral emotional states are tremendous resources for the development of mindfulness, calmness, and wisdom. They're places of rest where we can find a a balanced kind of mental posture in order to experience the more difficult things that might occur. And so many lovely things happen in our lives. Things that we can be grateful for. Things that can stimulate compassion and generosity and kindness. And that we can later reflect on and recognize, wow, I actually had the opportunity to help someone, to give something, to be present for somebody who was in pain. And I did it. And we could feel that sense of of delight and joy that we acted in a wholesome way when we had the opportunity to. 
The tendency of most people is to forget those things and to dwell on the times when we missed the opportunity or when we said something mean and we wished we hadn't said it. And so we need to bring up the energy in a way, the intention, the intentional aspect to recognize those wholesome states as they are occurring in our lives because they really are a tremendous resource for the development of our mindfulness, our presence, and our wisdom. We can feel those too in the body. How do we feel in the body when we're calm? How does it feel when we've just done a compassionate or generous act? How does the body feel? Notice those things, and as you notice them, you'll find that they will be more accessible to you as a resource for strength. A mindful investigation of emotion brings the possibility of a radical shift in our relationship to emotions. The liberation that the Buddhist teachings describe and point to is not the absence of emotions. But we might discover a dramatic transformation that can occur in how we relate to our emotions, how we respond to our feelings, how broadly do we explore and accept a range of emotions in our lives. With wisdom and mindfulness, we will not be bound to react just through those habitual patterns of fear or grasping or anger. We'll have the confidence that we don't need to get rid of emotions by blaming them, fearing them, fixing them, developing addictive patterns around them, blaming somebody else for causing them, or merely distracting ourselves from them. We'll be able to see the emotion for what it is its particular characteristics, how we experience it in the mind and the body, and we'll experience it for its general characteristics. And what's that? Primarily that it is nothing but an impermanent, changing, conditioned experience. When we don't fuel emotions with the stories, they just come and go. They are no problem at all. They arise, they pass, and another experience arises and passes. As our mindfulness develops, we can be fully awake, fully aware of one moment after another after another, so that the emotional life is dynamic and our lives are dynamic. We're not stuck into a pattern, we're not stuck trapped by a story. The emotions and the stories do not need to define who we are or determine how we will act. We have the ability and we have the freedom to know emotions as they arise and as they pass. And then with a mind that is not entangled by the stories we can experience the emotion itself and then we reflect wisely and authentically 
what would be a response to the situation that we want to give to the world, that we want to give to our community, that we want to give to the people we relate to, and that we want to condition for ourselves. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so I think I'd like to spend them in silence because I don't think there's quite enough time for much questions. So let's have the last five minutes in meditation, please. And I would encourage you during this time to perhaps tune in to your emotional experience and see how you feel in the mind and in the body. (laughs) 